Gracious Father in heaven, once again, we're just going to take some time to look to Jesus. So we open up. God, that wherever our hearts are in our journey of seeking you and knowing you, that you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, would minister grace to us, would reveal your glory to us in the way that you know we need it the most. I pray, Father, for the capacity just to be still and know that you are God. Thank you. In Jesus' name, let the family say, Amen. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. The Bible starts, this is Matthew's gospel, very, very kind of matter-of-fact in his narrative. He switches gears from what seems to be a dry genealogy in the first 17 verses, but it's really theologically deep, theologically rich. He's very intentional about this, and we'll get back to that in just a little bit. But in verse 18, the Bible says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. I'm reading from the New King James. It says, after his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. We'll pause right here. So far, you know, as you're just kind of going through phrase by phrase, the birth story of Jesus is, is a relatively happy one, right? It, it's, it's something that it starts out happy, at least, with the news of betrothal, oh, there's an engagement here. Mary is betrothed to Joseph, but it is quickly transitioned, or it quickly uh, is infused with a, a sense of scandal. That before their marriage was fully formalized, Mary, according to verse 18, was found with child. Uh, the, the literal phrasing there, it, it actually is talking about the womb. It's talking about the belly. Found in her belly is the literal phrasing there. Which gives you this sense that there was a discovery about her belly. Not just by Mary, but by others. That possibly suspicions were rising because Mary was showing. And people were concluding that things were not in God's ideal order. And so there's this, uh, da, 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 you know, kind of suspenseful music. And in verse 19, the narrative shifts from Mary's dilemma to now Joseph's response. In verse 19, the Bible says, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. The narrative, you see that it shifts. It shifts to the, a focus on Joseph, how he responds. But notice how Matthew describes Joseph. Right? Then Joseph, her husband. And I love that in the Greek, uh, the word for husband can also be translated as man. And so... Joseph, even though their, their marriage hasn't been formally uh, formalized or, or committed, uh, he himself is still committed. He is in a relational commitment to Mary. There is loyalty there. He is her husband. But then it says, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, 
which is describing a sense of righteousness, a sense of uh, nobility because his, high, his mind is on higher things. His mind is on God's ideal. Joseph prioritizes righteousness. He values living in a way that completely aligns with God's will, and he wouldn't have it any other way. And so there's this tension here because there's, there are things that are not apparently according to God's will. So how does he maintain being a just man and yet being her man? But notice how this continues at the rest of the verse. And not wanting to make her a public example was minded to put her away secretly. You see, Joseph wanted to live in a way that completely aligned with God's will. But he wasn't going to do it in a way that was mutually exclusive from his commitment to Mary. He was going to be a just man and still be her man. How? Joseph wanted to walk in righteousness in a way that didn't devastate Mary or put her to public scorn. I love that. I love that about Joseph. That in his sense of righteousness, he was not selfish. You follow me there? There's something other-centered about Joseph's sense of righteousness. And, and it's really ugly. I think we can all agree. It's really ugly when, when there is a sense of righteousness that is really selfish. In other words, doing the right thing, but doing it in a wrong way. Joseph, however, uh, was not that way. In fact, in verse 20, it says, but while he thought about these things. Again, in verse 19, the phrase at the very end of verse 19, he was minded to put her away. Uh, this is all indicating that Joseph was thinking, he was planning. There's a very significant or uh, it wasn't a very rash process. It was resolute. It was something that he was walking through very prayerfully, even in the face of disappointed expectations, even in the face of hopes that were dashed. He wasn't just going to just... Uh, like, a, like a fool, rush on ahead. And I feel like many times in our seasons of disappointment, or maybe this is just me, <laughs> many times in my seasons of disappointment or hurt, my thoughts about next steps, they tend to be just about me. They tend to be just about how can I preserve myself? How can I recover normal for myself? How can I regain uh, some face for myself? But not Joseph. Joseph was selfless in his sense of righteousness. Which reminds me about a characteristic of God, actually. I was reading, I think it's Psalm 145, just in my devotions earlier this week, looking through Psalm 145, and there's a verse there that describes God. It says that the Lord is righteous in all he does. He is gracious in all his ways. And I thought about that combination, that God is righteous and gracious in everything he does. He's always going to do the right thing, and he's always going to do it in a way that's the most gracious to us. And here's what Joseph is doing. He's wanting to do the righteous thing, but in a gracious way. And that, I think, is what allowed Joseph to keep his ears open to the instruction of the Lord. That's what allowed Joseph to have a heart that was still soft to instruction from heaven. In verse 20, let's keep reading. In verse 20, Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, the Bible says, But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Now let's just stop right there. That's an awesome dream. Okay, let's not, let's not forget about that. This is God communicating through a messenger, a heavenly messenger. An angel appears to him in a dream. And notice what the angel says, saying, Joseph. 
I love that. <laughs> I love that God knows us by name. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Whew. All right, just pause. We'll get to that in just a moment. But I love the fact that, again, Joseph, even though he's been thinking about what he's going to do, he seems pretty resolute about his plan of action. He is still willing to hear a word from God. Friends, even when you know or think you know what you should do, keep your ears open to hearing a word from God. You see, when we're intent on doing the right thing and doing it in the right way, when we're intent on living a righteous life and being gracious in all we do, we are able to hear the instruction and counsel and wisdom from on high that we do not have in our own thoughts. Uh, there's one of, my, one of my favorite quotations from the book Desire of Ages. And if you haven't read the book, I would highly recommend it, especially this time of year. Great time to start it. But page 330, Ellen White is actually talking about the ministry of Jesus and how Jesus had just kind of a clear sense of how to move forward in this way and that way. But then she applies his example to us. She says this, In every difficulty, he, God, has his way prepared to bring relief. Amen. That's not just some. That's not just a few of the things that many of us go through. In every difficulty... In every difficulty, he has his way prepared to bring relief. Our Heavenly Father has a thousand ways to provide for us of which we know nothing. Hallelujah. Those who accept the one principle of making the service and honor of God supreme will find perplexities vanish and a plain path before their feet. Amen. If there's ever a time where you are perplexed, if there's ever a time where you have a difficult path before you, you're not quite sure to turn to the right, to turn to the left, to go up, to go down, God has a way prepared already. It is our responsibility to simply accept this one principle. What one principle? Of making the service and honor of God supreme. And you know what? When we do, when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he will truly add all these things to us. We'll find perplexities vanish and a plain path before our feet. I am preaching to myself because we're a family on the move and we have nowhere to go. God knows his way is prepared for us. And Joseph, he didn't know exactly what to do. He had in mind what he was going to do, but he wanted to make the service and honor of God supreme. And he was still open to the counsel of the Lord. This is an encouragement to any of us who may be waiting on God right now about certain plans, about certain decisions that need to be made or have been made or will be made, uncertainties, but still we have this desire to do what's most loving, what's most God-honoring. And when that is our sincere heart commitment, he will make a plain path before our feet. He will. It may not necessarily come in the time you want it, but it'll come in the time that he knows it should. And I want to just extend this assurance to us, not just on an individual or a personal level, but this is an encouragement for us in our seeking after God's will collectively. That we as a church family, when we have the service and honor of God supreme in our hearts, he will make perplexities vanish. This may be a time of, of leadership transition, not quite sure who's coming in, what's going to happen, but hey, 
He's got his way prepared. He really does. He really, really does. And so, what does this angel say? We've already started reading it in verse 20. Joseph, son of David. Again, heaven knows us by name. But I love the qualifier that this angel chooses in addressing Joseph. He says, Joseph, son of who? Son of David. Now, if you look just a few verses earlier at the end of the genealogy in verse 16, it says, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary. Joseph was not David's son. Joseph was Jacob's son. But this angel is reminding Joseph not of his immediate blood relation, but of his royal descent. Of prophetic weight and significance because it's a lineage of messianic hope and promise. And what the angel is doing for Joseph right from the very get-go of his heavenly message is he is, is, is calling Joseph to shift his mind up. A brain function specialist that I listened to in years past, she calls it upshifting. That when we are reacting out of fear, when we are reacting uh, um, to a situation kind of like emotionally driven, we've, we're, we're re reacting from a lower part of our brain. But, but, but if we can simply upshift, she says, then we'll be able to look at it from, from, you know, with a capacity to discern, capacity to decide between right and wrong, to judge well. And so what, what the angel is doing for Joseph is she, the angel is upshifting Joseph's mind. Upshifting it from his thoughts that are wrapped up with the emotionally charged situation that he's trying to resolve. Upshifting from his thoughts that are wrapped up with bringing resolution to his and Mary's embarrassing predicament. How to preserve his name, how to preserve Mary's dignity, doing what's proper, etc. And this angel is shedding light on this simple reality that what is happening right now isn't just a personal struggle. But it's something that has prophetic implications. What the angel is telling Joseph is, you may be dealing with stuff right here, right now, but God is on the move on a bigger plane. And in our seasons of struggle, don't be surprised when God's word comes to you and doesn't address your struggle. When God's word comes to you and doesn't give you an answer about this house or that house, about this job or that job, about how to make ends meet here or there. No, don't be surprised when God's word comes to you in a way that upshifts your mind to cause you to look a little higher. That God is doing something not just for this particular circumstance, but he is doing something on a grander scale, a higher scale, with a redemptive purpose for not just you in mind. God's mind or God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his ways are higher than our ways. So in our seasons of struggle, let's keep committed to listening to his word and to allow his word to shine light on the redemptive purpose, the grander schemes that he may have in mind that are bigger than our present circumstances. So what is this angel's message? What is the angel's counsel to Joseph? says, Joseph, son of David, continuing in verse 20, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. The first instruction, do not be afraid. You know, though Joseph's resolute plan, it was noble, it was sensitive, apparently there was still fear underlying it. 
likely a fear that moving forward in his path with the marriage wasn't the just way or the right way. But the angel's message assures him of the opposite. He says, no, 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 no. Moving forward, you can move forward, not in fear, but in faith that this is actually of the Holy Spirit. The angel is inviting him to move forward in faith rather than stepping backward in fear. Whatever you have found to be out of place, Joseph, whatever you have found to be outside of the will of God is in fact a move of the Holy Spirit. That's not an easy pill to swallow at times. (laughs) What? This situation that seems so out of character, that seems the farthest thing that I would ever want to involve myself in, that's of the Holy Spirit. And I tell you, that explanation changes everything. It's of the Holy Spirit. Man, when the Holy Spirit moves, he does change everything. And I feel like this is the assurance that all of us need in our seasons of fear and doubt and uncertainty. Like, man, did I just make this happen? Did he or she just make all of this happen? Everything seems to be falling apart. But once we know that it's God's doing and not our own or not someone else's, it's not due to human wisdom or human fallenness, we'll say, all of a sudden, the mess that we find ourselves in, we can feel free to navigate. Why? Because God is leading us through this. Ah, man, just a few months ago, I remember there was a particular day where I was trying really hard to, to resolve some issues, you know, and just like put things together, connect the dots, but everything that I was intending to do just didn't happen. Or every visit that I was trying to make, it couldn't happen. And, you know, different things like this. And I just remember kind of like sitting in my office, like, what was that? That just seemed like a waste of a week, a waste of a day. <laughs> And it was actually a night that we were doing our deep calling discipleship group. And I remember just kind of, uh, you know, hunkering down with the scripture that we were supposed to read that night. And it was Psalm 139. And there are a couple of lines there where it talks about all of our days being written in God's book. And they are all fashioned by God. And I sat there and I I just thought, even this day? (laughs) Like, even that kind of week, you were fashioning that. Then all of a sudden, it just kind of lifted this burden. Like, hey, I don't have to fashion my own path here. He's already got a way prepared for me. He can make perplexities vanish and a plain path before feet. That is not of our creation, but it's of his fashioning. When we know that all this stuff is of the Holy Spirit, then we can step back and say, okay, I'm not in control here. I am not in control here. And so here, with this assurance, now comes the beautiful name. In verse 21, And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name, what is it? Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. She will bring forth a son. Joseph, This is what Mary will do. Praise the Lord for the moms in the room. (laughs) But then the next line, Joseph, this is what you will do. She will bring forth a son, and you shall do what? Shall call his name Jesus. What an honor. What a privilege. 
lot of times when we think of the nativity story, we think of Joseph as kind of like a background figure, you know, an extra that doesn't really have lines in, in the whole thing. Just, he's just there. No, 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 no. He had a very significant line here. You shall call his name Jesus. He was entrusted with the role of declaring who this son really is. So what's the beauty of the name? Jesus. The name is the Greek transliteration of, of uh, the Hebrew name Joshua. And it literally means Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. Or Yahweh is salvation. So who is this son that Mary would birth? He is the one who will save. He is the one who will rescue and redeem. The word, the Greek word there is sozo. It's the verb translated as save or heal in other places. Preserve, restore, rescue. He is the one who will save his people. The divine son of God, I love it, claims ownership of fallen humanity. He's not just here to save those guys. No, he's here to save his people. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? That we are accepted in the beloved. He claims ownership of us. We are his. But what is the rest of the phrase? For he will save his people from their sins. He's going to save us from all that separates us from him. All the curse and hurt of sin. All the curse and hurt that we have chosen ourselves or that others' choices have heaped upon us. He will save. Oh, man. We cannot let the simplicity or even the familiarity of this line keep us from hearing the gospel beauty in this name. There's gospel beauty in this name. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. I was reading um, another book, a book by George Knight, where he's talking about Matthew and this gospel, and what Matthew was trying to do in the gospel. And he actually connects this gospel truth with the gospel truth of the genealogy in chapter 1. And he says it like this. He says, What kind of people can Yahweh save through the one born of Mary? The answer flashes through the genealogy. Jesus can save people like Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and David. He can save Gentiles, prostitutes, adulterers, deceivers, and murderers. He can save anyone. Amen. Yeah. This genealogy isn't just a, a matter of fact. It's not just a history of who was here, who was there. Matthew is very intentional about in inserting certain names that wouldn't normally appear in a genealogy. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth. Adulterers, prostitutes, Gentiles, people that, that were supposedly unlovable or unreachable. And when you hear the name of Jesus, that Jesus saves, this isn't just for some, but this is for all. Yeah. And in verse 22, Matthew continues. So all this was done. 
that it might be fulfilled. So this dream, this angel appearance to Joseph in a dream, it comes to a close at verse 21, but then Matthew takes it on. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So here's what Matthew is doing. He's making the point That all this was the fulfillment of something that God had foretold long ago. That all this, Joseph, hey, all the stuff that you're running up against, all the stuff that seems to turn your plans in the opposite direction, all of this is actually prophecy being unfolded. All of this is something that God had foretold long ago, the promise of a miraculous virgin birth, that though this babe was of human pedigree, he was ultimately of divine ancestry. He is God. And on top of that, he is God with us. I love it. And by highlighting these two names in the span of, of a few verses, Matthew is connecting the dots between what Jesus would do, Yahweh saves, heals, restores, and who Jesus is, God with Again, another beautiful name. And this beautiful name changes everything. God with us, Emmanuel. And yes, there is standalone beauty in the name all by itself, especially in a season when we're often reminded of those who are not with us right now. Those who are far from us right now. Those who we wish we could celebrate with right now. I want you to hear the name, Emmanuel. God with us. There's a a song that I've heard recently on the radio. The chorus is very simple. It says, Hallelujah. We are not alone. God really loves us. God really loves us. Hallelujah, friends. We are not alone. God really loves us. He really loves us. Emmanuel, God with us. And this assurance of God's presence, in fact, it's something that's very important to Matthew. It's something that he starts Matthew chapter 1 with, you know, relatively starts it here in Matthew chapter 1. And then at the very end of Matthew, the very last phrase of Matthew, Jesus reminds his followers, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the assurance of God's presence. Hear the gospel of Emmanuel. Drink in the assurance of God's presence and incarnation. That's a technical word, fancy word for enfleshment. Jesus coming in the flesh that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. John chapter 1 verse 14. He didn't just get near to us, but he fully identified with us in our fallenness. In order to deliver us from our fallenness. Yeah. And that's Matthew's point. That's Matthew's point. He's linking this name of Emmanuel with Jesus. Linking the reality of God's presence and incarnation with the assurance of God's deliverance and salvation. God doesn't save from a distance. God doesn't save with a snap of a finger. God doesn't have a red button somewhere in the cosmos where he just presses it and resets everything. No. How does he save? By being with us. By being with us. 
through personal presence, through proximity, through taking on our humanity for all eternity. And when we hear that God is with us, we're supposed to hear that God saves us. Start connecting the dots in your mind. You know, over and over in Scripture, do not be afraid for God is with you. Whenever you hear that God is with you, realize that God is saving you. The salvation God gives us is not merely a commodity. It's not merely a clearance or insurance. The salvation God gives us is himself. Himself, his presence, his nearness. Salvation isn't just deliverance from destruction, although that's what salvation does for us. Salvation is more than that. It is restoration to oneness with God, the capacity to be fully present with God. This is salvation. He is salvation. And so do you hear the beauty of these names today? The gospel of Jesus. The gospel of Emmanuel. Maybe the question, the better question is not just do you hear the beauty of these names. Do you receive the beauty of these names today? Joseph did. Joseph did. If we finish out the narrative in verse 24, Matthew chapter 1, verse 24, then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. His plan totally reversed because God had a better plan in mind. And then notice verse 25, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. He called it. (laughs) He confessed it. He declared that Jesus was who God promised him to be. The Savior of his people. The Savior of your heart and mine. Joseph called it. And I love that in verse 23... It's not just that he shall call his name Emmanuel, but in verse 23, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is essentially an open-door invitation for all of us to put ourselves in the story. Will we call it? Will we confess it? Yes, he is salvation. He is God with us. So today, simple question. Will you join me in calling his name Jesus too? He's the one who came down that we might have life and have it more abundantly. So let's call his name. Let's call his name Jesus. Let's call his name Emmanuel. Let's trust that truly God is present and that his presence means our salvation. If that's your desire, if you want to just say yes to receiving the name of Jesus, go ahead and raise your hand to heaven. Amen. Amen. I want to pray. I'm going to invite the choir to join us forward here. Father in heaven. Hallelujah. We are not alone. You truly love us with an everlasting love. Lord, I praise you for being the God who is with us. I praise you for being the God who saves, not just from, but from all. I thank you for being the God who communicates to us as well. 
And Lord, we're just simply saying yes to you. Today we acknowledge that Jesus did come down, that we might have life and have it more abundantly, and we don't want him to have come in vain. So we are saying yes. And I just lean into the promise today for myself, for my household, for my church family here. John chapter 1, verse 12, that as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Born not of the will of man or of the will of flesh, but born of God. Thank you, Father, for this, this season that we have to especially focus on you becoming flesh and dwelling among us. And if you've given all, Lord, we simply want to give all to. We receive Jesus today. Let everyone say, Amen.